This is URN. Hello, this is Nilla Varman and you're listening to the Nilla Extract, the official show where I talk about pressing issues such as body acceptance, mental health, climate change, race and so much more, with some pretty cool music and some pretty cool guests too. Hello everyone, my name is Nilla Varman and welcome to another episode of the Nilla Extract. And guess what? It's finally December. Yay! So that means I'm officially allowed to play Christmas and wintry songs. Double yay. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in this week. And again, I can't believe it's, you know, I can't believe this week's gone so quickly. Last Saturday, I was in a birthday high and suddenly I've already been 20 for a week. So in a blink of an eye, really, there, there are now so many changes in my life. Um, how is everyone this week? Uh, I'm I'm okay. I've had, I'm a bit shit, to be honest. I've had a not so good week, but parts of it have been amazing. I've had a really, really busy week, not just with academic stuff, but um, my older cousin brother got married uh, yesterday. And so festivities were well underway since Monday. Unfortunately, none of my family could be there because of you know what which really really broke our hearts but thanks to zoom we were able to watch my brother tie the knot literally because in south indian marriages um instead of a ring we have a tali which is basically a necklace you tie on your bride instead of the you know the traditional ring so therefore it's the main symbol of marriage so congratulations to sibiana and kritika anni uh, anna means brother and anni's well uh, sister-in-law yeah um but Kritigani, you're the newest member of the varman clan so welcome uh my housemates and i also cooked up an incredible christmas dinner the other day if i do say so myself and i had all the potatoes i could ever fit in my tummy so um i'm a bit stuffed still reeling but uh, i don't regret anything so here i am live in studio one at the niller extract where i will try to challenge many socially pressing and relevant issues that aren't really talked about much now the topic for today is global warming wow what a clever pun on global warming i feel so smart <laughs> if you haven't guessed already the show today is all about the climate crisis and how bad it really is and how there is actually a chance that we can make a change I mean, it's real and it's happening. Human-caused climate change has already proven to be a thing. And things aren't really looking good for the future at the moment. But with the resources we have now and the amazing people who are raising awareness um, about the climate emergency, I, I'm certain that we have a chance, you know. So I was also very, very lucky to have a sit down and talk to the lovely Noga Levy Rappaport, who is an amazing and incredible climate justice activist. I'm sure some of you have heard of her. She led the um, London climate strike last year, and she's also part of the UK Student Climate Network. So she's done lots of talks. She's been on the news lot. I'm pretty sure she even met Brooklyn Beckham at one point. But she's someone who's doing a fantastic job at raising awareness and being informative in a way that everybody understands what's happening and what needs to be done in a very concise and clear way. So, I mean, I'm, I remember watching a small documentary kind of thing on Channel 4 documentaries where she takes us through the day of the actual protest. And she's absolutely incredible. She's like, you know, dodging police. And she's literally hosting the entire of um, the London population that showed up. I mean... 
over 450,000 people joined her to march from all over the world. And she's still continuing to do an amazing job despite the ongoing pandemic. Oh, Miss Rona. Um, But yeah, Noga and I talk about her experiences as a climate justice activist, uh, climate anxiety, misconceptions about climate change, and loads and loads of other things related to what we can do to ensure that we are making an impact. So stay tuned for that. And uh, as I said, it's December. So loads of wintry songs coming up in the next week. And now saying that, I just realised that next week is my last show of this term. Oh no. So this isn't my Christmas special, but next week, you know, it's all Christmas stuff. But fret not, I will be back in January with some very interesting, cool new things for you all to listen to. So yeah, don't miss my weirdness too much. And if you do, don't worry. If you miss listening to my weird strangely deep and sometimes high-pitched voice you can listen to it on soundcloud on apple podcast and on spotify for as long as you want for as many times as you want wherever you want gosh i sound like one of those adverts on stitcher podcasts um so for those who know me i'm a huge david attenborough fan and he's so cool honestly the coolest person ever um i've probably watched all of his specials and all of the documentaries and gosh i'm crazy like the the amount of effort that i put into contacting this man on a daily basis it's so hard to get him on anything i try to contact him by contacting his agent but his agent also has an agent it's crazy but yeah i even wrote him a letter a letter a letter a few months ago and uh, I sent him some of the photographs I took in Africa and he actually wrote me back and I started crying like just on the doorstep. Um, but it was like the hugest flex I have and I have the letter framed up in my room and nobody's allowed to touch it. And David and I are best friends now. I mean, I don't I don't know if you knew that, but Sir David and I are just we're best friends. So I don't know if you guys have watched uh, his most recent film, A Life on Our Planet, but it had such a huge impact on my view of the climate emergency. Uh, Personally, I started eating uh, a a more plant-based, more plant-based products, uh, trying out new vegan products and slowly trying to ease into a plant-based life. But yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen it, a short summary with that would be that our summers and winters are getting very warm in parts of the world. Our corals are bleaching. We're losing ice. Sea levels are rising. Heck, Indonesia is even apparently going to move its capital to somewhere else in the country because that part of the capital is sinking. Wild animal populations have staggeringly decreased by more than half since the 1950s. So yeah, we're kind of effed. But buckle down. Uh, empty your bladders, lots of sustainability and environmental talk to come, as well as a whale of a time, my new favourite segment. Now, I'm going to leave you with this song by a band called Jungle Land. They are a really cool band formed by some of my mates uh, at the Uni of Nottingham, and they're really, really good. So check them out on SoundCloud. And here's a song that's kind of been stuck in my head last from last week, and it's called I Can't Go Back, and it pretty much sums up my week this week. But yeah, I hope you enjoy it. I think it's time for me to leave. 
some space to just sit back and breathe Find something I can start to believe Look around, see what I need to your favourite brown girl, Nilla Varman, and you're listening to The Nilla Extract on University Radio Nottingham. And that was Can't Go Back by Jungle Band. Ah, Jungle Land, sorry. I, I think they're really, really good. I love that song. It's been stuck in my head for about a week now, and it's so, so good. It's had a really good listening to it in the studio as well, so I was kind of just jamming out very, very slowly. Um, but hello, welcome back. And I'm really glad you're here. So I hope you enjoyed that song. Um, and uh, yeah, so a lot of you sent 
in a lot of things that you've done to contribute to the environment this week, which I found was pretty cool. Um, people are recycling their bubble wrap to package to send uh, as gifts. One of my friends tried an organic menstrual pad for the first time, which I think is pretty cool. I'm going to look into that. I didn't even know there was a thing like a um, an organic menstrual pad. And if there is, well, yay. Um, somebody convinced their parents to stop using plastic bags to take out the garbage. That's fantastic. Well done, you. And another said that they always carry reusable straws. Uh, somebody even said that they brought 27 plants this week oh my god you go girl i'm so jealous um that's pretty cool so i was talking about how we're basically uh well we spent our time digging ourselves into this massive massive very deep hole full of poo and from the movie a life on our planet i've learned that it's not too late to act firstly I remember a bit in the movie where um, Sir David says that it's crazy that our banks are investing in fossil fuel when these are the things that are jeopardizing our future. And also sustainable fishing was uh, something that was talked about quite a bit and how essential it is right now because fishing is the world's greatest wild harvest. And if we do it right, uh, we can keep going because the healthier the marine habitats, the healthier the sea life in them, and the healthier the fish that we have. And we could even eat more too. So you're probably thinking now that I've said this, why not just restrict fishing and banning it, you know, ban it in, in entirely in areas where varieties are endangered? And to that, I say that I've actually seen that there are positive effects in no fish zones and they've had a huge impact on fish population so i hope that people continue to recognize that and uh, push for more reserves that protect fish as well um also we need to halt deforestation sir we need to restore or rewild if you will the biodiversity on this planet i mean come on <laughs> we <laughs> Today on Sky News, I saw this clip which was devastating. It said that the Amazon rainforest deforestation has accelerated by like 12.7 times more than they anticipated this year. Not to mention that half of it basically burnt down and barely any of us knew about it until it was like trending on Leonardo DiCaprio's Instagram. I mean, it, uh, it just makes me so frustrated. But... Yeah, obviously there's diet as well, which I think is essential. Um, it's an essential factor. Uh, I mean, we're all trying to change our diets in certain ways. I know it's hard, but it can be done. I mean, I love eating meat. I I like live at Nando's most of the time. You know, like I'm pretty sure I'm the main source of their income, but they couldn't hire me though. So I'm kidding. Um, but I realized that the planet just can't support billions of meat eaters. I mean, there just isn't space, okay? If a lot of us had a largely plant-based diet, we would only need half of the farming land that we use at the moment, which could be an incredible change. I mean, half of it is used for other things. Come on. So that's why I'm trying to include a more plant-based uh, lifestyle change. I mean, the stuff that I've tried so far has actually been really nice. The only thing that I tried recently which really, really put me off life was vegan halloumi. 
Um, it was like the free from version and it smelled like vomit and like gave me the shits. Uh, so except that, try everything else. Uh, don't let that put you off. But I cut out milk a few years ago and I only drink almond and oat milk. Uh, I've been trying vegan sausages and um, other vegan products, but I'm trying to make sure that I don't buy soy and soy products. So even if you're not completely vegan like me, or even if you're not completely plant-based, as long as you're largely contributing to a different diet, I think that we could really make a change. Now, I know that was a lot to think about. So as a little chill before a wonderful interview, here is a whale of a time. It's a whale of a time. Yay! I did say I was going to change that intro, but um, yeah, too many things in life that's going on. But uh, thank you to everyone who sent in some really, really cool sea life facts this week. Uh, a whale of a time is basically a very strange segment um, where I talk about sea life and sea life facts and strange facts and funny facts and cool facts because I love sea life. And so, yeah, here it goes. So I've got some pretty cool entries this week from some friends, from from family from people I've never met before, so that's cool. My dedicated listeners and fan base. Um, so this comes from my family friend, Arohi. She says, sharks are covered with tiny little teeth called denticles, and that's why their skin feels like sandpaper. Now, I kind of agree with that, because I've did. I ha- I've touched a few sharks at, like, aquariums. That's a really bad, like, yeah. But I, I agree. Like, they feel weird. Y- you don't think that they feel weird when you see them but they feel weird i briefly touched a sturgeon when i went uh, diving in this place called tioman it just kind of brushed past my leg that doesn't really count though uh this is another one from uh, a friend of mine it's kind of sad actually so apparently if a whale um my favorite animals on the planet accidentally sing in the wrong key they get lost in the ocean oh my god that's so sad can you imagine just being off key and then just being lost for the rest of your life. Ugh, I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> um, another fact is that octopus are the Earth's most intelligent animals. I think that's pretty cool. Um, yes, do that. And uh, boxer crabs. Now, I've seen this in person. It's really cool. So boxer cat crabs carry two anemones in their claws and they look like pom-poms and it's really really cute sea sponges are older than dinosaurs wow i did not know that that kind of puts spongebob in a very different perspective for me and finally apparently a whale can whistle and well yes whales can whistle but the whistle can travel to up to 500 miles underwater making them the loudest animal underwater and also the one that can make sound travel the most that didn't make sense but you get what i mean um before i go to this next song i just want to talk a little bit about this christmas dinner that we had the other day now it was amazing we had all the trimmings and everything well we also tried some vegan alternatives so not very traditional but hey it worked so my housemate cooked up some vegan pigs in blankets that he made himself from some plant-based sausages and what looked like vegan bacon it was quite thick and it didn't exactly have the same texture as like normal bacon uh, so it didn't really wrap around the 
the sausage. So we kind of tied it up either side, but it worked, and I heard that was very nice. Uh, vegan Yorkshire puddings are also a very, very cool thing that people make, and it's cool, and you should try it. But for our Christmas dinner, we had like these puff pastry kind of alternatives. And then finally, for the main, there was stuffed peppers also made for, by my housemate. And these are all vegan things that you can have. There are also vegan mince pies, which I tried yesterday, and they're very nice. So, yeah. Now, here is a song that brings back a lot of memories. My first wintry track of the year. And it's literally one of my favorite songs. It, it holds a lot of memories, and it's very, very important to my family. Uh, we love this song and well yeah this is for them this is A Winter's Tale by Queen It's winter fall Red skies are gleaming Oh Seagulls are flying over Swans are floating by Smoking chimney tops Am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? The night's drawing. There's a silky moon up in the sky. Yeah. Children are fantasizing. Feeling, am I dreaming? Am I dreaming? Whoa, 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 whoa. So quiet and peaceful, tranquil and blissful. There's a kind of magic in the air. Zooming higher 
place. This. This. Is URN. So I'm really excited to introduce Noga Levy Rappaport, who is an amazing climate justice activist and the organiser and host of uh, the London's Climate Strike, with over 450,000 people joining her to march um, all over the country. And she's a spokesperson for the uh, Labour for a Green New Deal, as well as the participant of the UK Student Climate Network. So hello, Noga. I'm so excited to talk to you. Welcome to the Niller Extract. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Thank you for being here. How are you? How is- I'm great. <laughs> how, how are you surviving in lockdown? It's not ideal. You know, COVID's put quite a strain on a lot of things, but I do have faith that we'll get through it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Have you been doing um, many talks and things like that during this time or have you just kind of taken a break? I mean, I've tried to do as much as I can. Obviously, a lot of things are quite digital now and that does make things a lot more accessible, but it means that in terms of organising demonstrations and strikes, this year has been a massive setback for a lot of the climate change movement. Um, But webinars are on the rise, which is (laughs) a great result. So I'm still doing quite a lot of those. Yeah, I mean, everywhere I look, there's just like webinar for this. I saw one that was called like webinar to see if feathers belong to chickens or something like that. And I was like, <laughs> wow, people people are really going out this year for webinars. <laughs> um, but I mean, for those who don't know, you are a climate justice activist, as I was saying, and you've spoken so openly about the situation that our planet is in. It's in a bit of a shithole at the moment. Um, but you've been leading protests and talking about how important spreading awareness is about um, climate change. And you're doing a fantastic job. So thank you for everything that you do, because we need more people like thank you. you. And it's great that you're like a student as well. So it's really relatable. And to see that, you know, some people are like, oh, all these climate activists are adults. They have so much free time. They this is their job or whatever. I mean, there's no excuse. Yeah, it's really intimidating, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. like you see all these people who are like, making waves or whatever you know you the idea of like an activist you kind of associate that with like someone who's like connected to politicians or someone whose job it is every day to kind of wake up and talk to people and that's a very adult thing I think for a lot of like students and young people it's really scary to think of like going out there and doing things yourself yeah I think though but seeing people like you doing it actually motivates people to think oh so I can do this too like this is not an excuse for me to sit on my bum you know, I can actually do it. And people younger than me or older than me are doing it too. So thank you for that. I mean, what inspired you to start this whole journey with um, climate activism and uh, taking all this action? I mean, I, you know, I first heard about climate change when I was maybe six years old. And I remember being sat in an assembly and they were showing us some pictures of what to me looked like some clouds. And I was like, great, wonderful, can't wait. And the head teacher was like, this is the ozone layer. It is falling apart. There is a hole in it. The problem is that your dads are using aerosol cans to shave. They have to stop. And I was like, fair enough. That sounds pretty bad. No more aerosol cans. And I kind of didn't really think about climate change. So I was maybe 16 and doing, you know, GCSE science. But for those 10 years, and I think a lot of other young people might be able to relate to this for those 10 years there was this awareness of climate change is coming nothing we can do about it it's really horrible and terrible and it's going to result in an apocalypse style catastrophe Mm -hmm. but that's just it 
you know, in 20 years time, there's just a void that I can't plan for because that's when um, kind of ecological disaster strikes and there's nothing I can do. And that actually puts such a burden on you. So when I heard about the climate strikes that were happening that Greta Thunberg was organizing and that people around the world were starting to do, and I saw on a friend's Instagram story that there was a climate strike happening, I kind of immediately knew I had to go. I remember feeling so almost overwhelmed by this kind of inexplicable feeling of urgency and necessity. And it really felt like our generation's moment to take the stage when the world's been quiet about the climate emergency. So, for, yeah, for so long. I mean, it's so, so strange to think about how silent we've all been about this. Yeah. But becoming more involved in climate change activism was a choice I felt I had to make because I think... As people, you know, you have to feel empathy and compassion for one another. And to me, that means standing up and it means fighting to get justice for others. And that means being involved in any social movement there is. And the climate change movement last year was really kicking off. And I just felt like I had to dive in head first. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. I think everyone has their own epiphany moment, you know, when they kind of realize, oh, my God this is what's happening now. For me, that was like a few years ago, as you said, like I've always been aware of it and I've always been wary. And even then it's like, I've never taken that extra step to actually do something. I mean, obviously at home, we like recycle and even that's become like a, like a controversy now, like recycling. And, you know, my, my parents have always, you know, taught us not to waste things and um, learn about what's happening in our planet. And, Mm. Obviously, I don't know if you're like me, but I grew up just watching all these David Attenborough things. And then I saw, yeah. I'm a huge fan. And then I saw his recent documentary and I've never seen him that upset before in my life. And I was just like, oh my God, what, is, what have we done to David? He used to be so optimistic. <laughs> and now he's just like, we are doomed. And I'm like, oh no. But yeah. um, I think everyone has that moment where they're just like, holy crap, we need to do something. And obviously you've gone the extra mile to actually do it. So well done you and thank you. <laughs> um, speaking of doing it though, I mean, you led like a huge, a huge march and protest. How was that? Like, how did you feel? <laughs> it was pretty crazy. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie to you. It was pretty insane. You know, we'd from February of 2019, um, myself and other organisers as part of the UK Student Climate Network were organising monthly strikes and doing talk and events and rallies and working with other organisations and forming alliances with other youth groups and social justice groups and kind of coordinating things internationally. And then at some point, um, you know, all these international organisers were saying, okay, we need to do another global strike. We need to make this massive and that's when kind of the September strike of last year was really born and so on top of organizing monthly strikes we now had to prepare for something that really we hoped would break records you know we had to we had to organize and put together um what was the largest climate mobilization in the history of the UK which was insane Um, and that was like staying up every night till 1am and answering emails at lunch and break time and missing so much school. Um, (laughs) And I'm so sorry to my teachers for how little I was actually present in classes, (laughs) but it was just constant. And yeah, I mean, it was Zoom calls at seven in the morning and Zoom calls at 10 in the evening. And 
it was just non-stop and it all paid off and I just will not forget that moment of standing on top of the bus um, that we got in London and hearing from um, kind of the people who were working on reading like press releases and stuff and making sure we were all prepared and them saying, okay, what we're seeing now is a count of 100,000 people in London alone. And I remember getting back up onto that bus and just having to take a moment to thank the crowd and say, I love being your host today so much. I've worked so hard for this, but I cannot express in words right now how it feels to have 100,000 of you in front of me with as much anger and as much hope and as much optimism and as much fury as I have. And it was just, it's one of those days you really don't forget. And I think anyone who has attended any of the climate strikes over the past two years or anyone who's been to that kind of demonstration can tell you that there really is nothing like it. There's no feeling like a protest, like being part of a collective that cares so deeply about what you care about and is so intensely determined to make that change. That's incredible. Like, I can't... I mean, I remember when this strike happened last year. I had just joined um, second year and I couldn't come. And I remember people um, on my course were like, oh, there's this huge strike. And that's when I first heard about you. And I was just like, who is this girl? She's incredible. (laughs) I remember, remember, like, um, watching a video of you, I think, on BBC and you were just shouting through a megaphone, like, getting people away from police. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm sitting here, like doing absolutely nothing and I mean (laughs) um but I think you've been doing a really amazing job at bringing um that conversation across because it's so important and so many people choose to ignore it for so long so thank you again for doing that it's incredible um if you don't mind we will take a two few second break with a song and uh, we'll get back to you in a sec this this is URN welcome back everyone thank you for listening to that song wherever that song was um so we're back here with Noga and she was talking about her experiences hosting a protest with like a bajillion people who were just as dedicated as her I mean um you've also spoken openly about how youth leadership is so important to make change. So how important are our voices in making this change, do you think? I mean, I'm a history student. And if there's like one thing that I have learned in any history class, it's that young people are at the forefront of every social justice movement ever. It's our nature as naive people, you know, as people who haven't experienced the worst that the world has to offer yet, we have this incredible optimism and this amazing energy and that is key in kind of the world ravaged by hopelessness. We bring excitement and hope and crucial naivety to every movement and that makes it our duty, it makes it our moral responsibility to lead. It makes it our moral responsibility to organise with each other, to collaborate, to fall in love with the world around us to fall in love with the people around us and use that empathy and that love as our strongest weapon to say Mm -hmm. we are young people we're going absolutely nowhere and we are here because we're absolutely determined to make a difference we're going to change things and leave it better for generations to come than it was for us we're going to build off of the legacy that the giants of the climate justice movement have left over the past 40 years 
and we're going to leave something even better. We're going to secure that safer, more equitable future that we want. We're going to push for real systemic change. We're going to push for youth empowerment. We're going to push for educational reform, for a Green New Deal, for you know fundamental changes to our economy and to our social structures that you know make the world a little bit of a better place. And I do believe we have that power. I think that if there's one thing that every young person should know, I think and this has to be ingrained in young minds from the very beginning, is that we should never feel like we have to ask permission or kind of defer to others in order to make that change and act on what we feel is right. Because I know that was such a worry for me always. I always felt like, you know, when there was something I was angry about, you know, kind of social justice related, it was, it was never up to me to decide what to do about it. It was never up to me to push for that change. I always felt like, oh, there are people who know more and, and they should do it. You know, it's nothing to do with me. I might be furious about it. I might feel like it's exhausting me and it's emotionally crippling me, but I can't, I can't do anything about it. It's not up to me. You know, I, I need to check if it's okay. But that's not true. I think, you know, about not asking permission, that's a belief that the actions and futures of kids rely on particularly when we're faced with this dire ecological emergency there's never been a time when it's more imperative that kids around the world realize our own strength and take action for our planet and it starts at home it starts with our communities and the support networks around us it starts with enfranchising young people to fight not just the climate crisis but empowering youth like me and you to collectively reshape our own communities and ensure that real change can happen to our society securely and from the bottom up I mean, I couldn't have put that better. And I genuinely feel so motivated right now. And I was like, wow, <laughs> so much power. Um, but yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's something that we need to be told um, to open our minds to. Because as you were saying, a lot of people, they wait for that permission. They wait for somebody to tell them, okay, you need to do this now. But I think mm. really it should just be a learning curve as such like you don't have to know so much about the climate or so much about something to take um effort to actually do something i mean you'd be learning along the way anyway i'm sure that you learned plenty when you were doing all this stuff and i think i learned so much i mean the one thing i like i would say particularly with climate change is that there's all this pressure to be like a perfect environmentalist yeah yeah. there's all this pressure to recycle everything perfectly to be Uh a vegan all the time to always turn the lights off to take two minute long showers and whatever, all these tiny individual actions that yes, you know, if you can do them, you should. If you can't do them, that's okay because we know that these individual actions aren't going to solve the crisis in the way that systemic change will. Mm -hmm. There's so much pressure to kind of do things the right way when you just have to try things, you just have to try doing something. Maybe it won't be perfect, but it'll work out and it will make that little difference. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that too. I mean, if you don't mind me asking, are you a vegan? Um, I was for about a year. Mm-hmm. It got really hard for me um, just because of the way my days were structured, the, like the difficulty it was to cook. I'm a terrible cook, so that didn't help. <laughs> um, I am a vegetarian as much as I can be. Um, in the same way with, you know, recycling and turning the lights off you do as much as you can um my brother's also um a vegan you know my family mostly avoids meat which i think is great and i think you know i've met quite a lot of people who have become vegan and vegetarian recently and that's also really great because ultimately you know it's about doing everything we can do i hope that at some point i can become a vegan again um and i am quite looking forward to that um 
But in the meantime, you know, meat substitutes are doing me just fine. Yeah. I mean, my boyfriend has recently turned vegan and this is from going like eating like chicken stuff mm. all the time. And then suddenly over lockdown, he just went, right, I'm vegan now. And I was like, hey, <laughs> I mean, I'm, like, I'm so proud of you, but also what? <laughs> I mean, I was so shocked, but we've spent this time since coming back to university. I, I love eating fish and chicken and stuff. And I've been trying to explore more with plant-based things. Um, I'm not going to lie. I like vegan sausages a lot more than pork sausages. They're so good. Vegan-like burgers are incredible. I know. And you don't expect them to be either. We had a barbecue. And I remember I got some beef patties for the boys in my house. And then uh, some vegan burgers for um, the other people who are vegetarian vegan. I remember the patty shrunk to about this big. And then the vegan burgers were huge. And I was just like, right, that's it. I don't want a beef patty. I'm having a vegan burger because it tastes good. I could do it, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I totally get that. Like trying um, the best of your ability. I'm trying to incorporate more plant-based substitutes here and there. You know, I stopped drinking milk a few years ago mm. completely, but I still eat cheese. So there's something I'm slowly coming off of. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean... I don't know about you, but I sometimes have like climate change anxiety or eco anxiety where I sometimes just go, oh my God, it's happening so fast. I don't want this. Do you, do you ever experience that? Oh my God. All the time. All the time. I have a very specific memory of um, last summer in 2019, I was trying to go to sleep and I just had, I just burst into tears. I just remember my dad having to come upstairs and he was like, what's wrong? And I was like, I was like, what if this doesn't work? Like, what if we spend all this time working and organizing and fighting for something different and it doesn't work and everything still collapses around us? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was very little he could say that would comfort me because he couldn't solve it, you know, <laughs> with a click of his fingers. But it was nice just to sit there and kind of let that out. I think there are two aspects to eco-anxiety. And the first is... Yes, it's terrifying. The first is saying, yeah, this is really fucking scary, actually. This is something that we've never faced before. And the only genuine solution to it that will actually secure a more equitable world has been shot down by opposition as a utopia for decades. And it's getting increasingly difficult to get there. And we have to do that within the next like 10 years or everything falls apart. That is a scary thought and it's okay to be terrified by it. In fact, I think if you're not terrified by it, there's probably something wrong with you. There's <laughs> probably something gone wrong there because it is really scary. It is. And yeah. then you have to take that. And this is the second part of eco anxiety, and this is really the crucial part, is that you have to say, yes, I'm terrified because this is a scary thing. And that means I have to do something about it. You have to channel that eco anxiety into real anger and fury because honestly at most demonstrations i've probably felt sadder and angrier than i do sitting in my bed crying about the climate crisis yeah i feel this intense you know collective of people around me who are equally sad and scared and that is incredibly powerful you have to transform eco-anxiety into anger and that anger has to be transformed into action and that's how we'll win Mm. that's how we do it i think Part of that also means, you know, creating support networks of people around you. It's okay to knock on your flatmate's door and say, 
hey, I feel pretty shit. Um, nothing's happened. It's just the world is collapsing and <laughs> I want them to give you a hug. That's how supportive we need to be of each other. We're all in this together and it's a terrifying thing. Mm. And that's okay. We're going to be okay if we fight for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that because I kind of started experiencing this eco-anxiety. I was in Australia and I was like uh, diving on the, not on the coral reefs, but above the coral reefs. Mm. And I was so excited because I'd never been to the Great Barrier Reef and I'm obsessed with the ocean and I was so excited. And I remember there was just this time when I had about 10 minutes to myself because my parents were on the shore and I was just diving and going around and chasing sea turtles or whatever and then suddenly I felt like this huge scratch like form on my knee and I looked down and I realized that I'd literally stumbled upon what looked like to me a coral graveyard everything was bleached and it was so terrifying to see not only because you know that coral reefs are such an important part of our environment of our ecosystem and they provide the homes for so many animals and people and they give us you know all the nutrients we need to breathe and to live and it was just like oh my god this is actually happening this is not something i just see on the news this is going to keep happening and it was like when you see it on TV, it looks like, oh, only a small part's bleaching. But no, it was like miles and miles and miles of just white, spiky coral. And I just, I felt dreadful. Like, it ruined that experience for me because I was struggling to swim back because everything was hitting the top of my um, knees and it was broken off. And I was just like, oh my God, like, I have to do something now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> One experience. That sounds insane. It's, it's, it's just, it's really sad uh, to realise that this is what it's come to. Um, obviously, I, I'm sure when my parents were growing up, you know, they always wanted to go see the reef because of its colours and of, like, its grandiosity. Is that a word? Yeah, but, I think so. Yeah, but then when I went, they were so shocked. They were like, what, what's happened? You know, and I think that's when it really started to sink in for me that there was something seriously wrong and that some people, although there is change at the moment, some people need to still do something. Like, they're still not doing anything and there's so much that can be done. Um, so, yeah, thank you for telling me about your experience with eco-anxiety. I'm glad that somebody else feels this way. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, speaking of, like, you know, uh, knowledge about climate crisis and all that. What do you think are some common misconceptions that people usually get wrong about the climate crisis? The main one that I've come across is that nothing can be done. I think this is this is massive. People just say, oh, it's too late now. You know, it's all inevitable. It's not. This is not true. It's like There's always something we can do. Mm. Um, you know, we can actually reset the clock and build back better. We do have time now if we act immediately to fundamentally transform our economy and our society in a way that can tackle inequality and solve the climate crisis as urgently as we need to there are so many things we can do oh there's so many policies it's like it's insane to think about how people have just told us for years lobbied mainly by the fossil fuel industry that there is nothing we can do and that the only thing you can do is make your carbon footprint even smaller um 
And it just, it's so infuriating to think about, especially when the idea of a carbon footprint was invented by uh, the fossil fuel industry as a way to distract <laughs> us from kind of their sins. Damn, yeah. I, it's so, <laughs> there's always something we can do. This, like, this is just a scientific situation and that means there's a solution. There always is. I think another misconception that people so often have is that is again back to kind of individual actions rather than systemic change. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that we alone through shorter showers and vegan burgers can somehow decarbonize our entire economy. It, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like it's, it's infuriating even more so again, because this is stuff that's been fed to us from the fossil fuel industry as a way of getting, you know, getting us distracted from who the real problem is here from the fact that our political class is totally servile to corporate power and to fossil fuel power and to you know a situation in which a very small centralized elite have monopolized fossil fuels to the extent that we can't imagine a world World without everything running yeah you know, on fossil fuels all the time. Though. Definitely, definitely. Mm. I think it's it's they really do a great job confusing everyone. <laughs> they played us totally. Yeah. It's just like, hey, what are you telling me? And then they're like, oh, I'm saying this now. I mean, it's like you know, Boris Johnson changing his mind every two days. It's like, I was like, ah, what do you want me to believe? What is going on? And it's also <laughs> what. Um, but yeah, as you yeah. say, I think so many people are unaware that they're being played this badly and it kind yeah, of sucks. Absolutely. Yeah. So terrible. I think um, yeah. a third misconception also is then ultimately about what the climate crisis is. You know, it didn't come out of nowhere. Like, this is a great injustice. It's a war that's being waged against the most vulnerable so that the richest can continue to line their pockets. Mm-hmm. This is a crisis that the UK has a historic responsibility in. This is a crisis that was born of the world's inequalities. This is a crisis that that has sprung from the groundwork that was laid by imperialism and colonialism and kind of extractive, exploitative capitalism. This is a catastrophe that is the result of, this is what happens when we continue to extract and use the world's resources as if it's just a vehicle for profit. This is what happens when we focus only on an ever-expanding economy and continual growth and polluting and pillaging on kind of an appalling scale. Yeah. It's not sprung out of nowhere. It's a systemic problem. It's a result of the way our economy functions and it's something that we can change and transform. And I think that is something that I, I hope can give people a little bit of hope because it's not just something that we're going in blind for. We do understand why the climate crisis is here. We understand the processes behind it and that means we can erase them. Yeah, I think that's really important to realise as well. I, I'm i definitely learning a lot today, I feel. it's. I mean, I think it's, as you were saying, we know what's happening, but sometimes mm. we choose to ignore it. Sometimes we're like, you know, so dependent on other people to make that change for us but nobody seems to realize that it's like a it's a united front and nothing's going to happen unless we all understand what's going on and we all make sure that somehow we reshape the economy even if it's 
little by little we could do it it's it's totally possible and you know you and i might be dead before it happens <laughs> we're pretty young still but, <laughs> but <laughs> you know but on a lighter note though what's your favorite animal uh hedgehog really doubt. i think they're incredible i don't i don't know i just i i just think about hedgehogs like they're just <laughs> they're so spiky they're brilliant they're unstoppable like yeah I've, yeah i want a hedgehog so bad but it's i just <laughs> i want a hedgehog so bad the only pet i've ever had was um when i collected some snails from the garden as a kid and kept them for about two weeks before they drowned because i gave them too much water oh <laughs> I, um yeah i do i do you know me and animals get along great but i've yeah i do just want a pet one day really oh i get that my brother used to have a snail collection where he just used to walk around the garden get a bunch of snail shots and he used to put them all in like one little patch in the garden yeah and i mean he'd come back the next day and most of them would have disappeared why because it was in the (laughs) sight of every bird in the country um so he'd just be like oh no where's this snail and they were like oh my god he just used to find them out of everyone just go this is my snail collection you can't watch this <laughs> just in the garden and i was like right they're all going to be dead tomorrow great oh, poor snails. <laughs> i know <laughs> it's like they were all hiding and my brother just went you no you're out of the <laughs> But yeah, I, hedgehogs are really cute. My my favorite animals are slightly bigger. They can't be uh, domesticated. I like whales. And, oh, whales uh, brilliant. Oh, whales are so cool. I've never seen a whale before, so I really want to see one. I think I might die if I do. Wow. <laughs> can't wait. Um, <laughs> now, I just thought, I thought we could talk about something slightly light because, again, it can be really stressful to think about this impending doom. Um, yeah, really dark topic. I know. I mean, we're definitely not be. I, in my opinion, I don't think we're completely beyond the point where melting ice caps and um, no, absolutely you know, not. breathing. It's not inevitable. I think there is yeah. still a chance for us, and there's still a way to go about it. We just have to make sure that we tap into that instinct, which tells us the like the planet does so much for us, bro. Help <laughs> it. <laughs> like absolutely i think i almost have nothing more to add to that there is <laughs> you know there's some there's some parts of the world that we can pinpoint we can say okay we know we can't stop the sea level rising here but that doesn't apply to everywhere and yeah. that also gives us a little pointer as to say okay well the people who live there where sea level is going to continue to rise let's move them out let's make mm-hmm. sure that we can make space for the climate refugees that will come our way let's make sure we're securing housing and investing in kind of our economy and our nhs and our services so that you know people who come into different countries fleeing from climate crises irrespective of employment or nationality are able to secure you know good food and healthcare, income job security housing access to clean and affordable energy and heat public transport clean air and green spaces we can do all of this we can protect and invest mm-hmm. in our public services mm-hmm. Because it's not inevitable. You're absolutely right. There's so much left to do. Yeah. I mean, there's so many resources that we have now that there weren't there about 10, 20 years ago. There's so many people like you and so many young people and old people and middle-aged people. (laughs) (laughs) Just just people, okay? People out there trying to educate us and trying to spread this awareness and giving us the resources that we need. And I think it's just a matter of time before people understand that, okay, this is the time. Even if it's just like getting a 
reusable bag when you go to the shop instead of buying one or using a plastic sorry not a plastic a wooden um fork <laughs> instead of a plastic one yeah or i don't know investing in biodegradable candles or something but <laughs> that was random i should have meant that <laughs> um, no that's great i'll look up some biodegradable candles later. i know there's edible candles because i i had my show yesterday and someone i had like a segment which was about ask me anything and some person who i don't know asked me how to eat a candle and uh yeah i was just like please don't eat candles but there are edible <laughs> options um there no. are better ways yeah yeah but nega before we go um as students and young people um especially during this lockdown period when we have so much time to do nothing but do lots of things at the same time mm-hmm. um what do you think we need to do to lead a more sustainable lifestyle to make these sustainable lifestyle choices and making sure that whatever we do now has a great impact on um doing good stuff (laughs) i think i mean you've got the you know you've got the obvious individual actions you've got you know eating less meat and shopping sustainably and shopping ethically and sourcing um you know your clothes and your food from local independent businesses and shops and ethical um consumption as best we can and then there's also you know organizing within your community and for some of us that just means our flat and for some of us that means you know our campus and for some of us that means the old lady that you know runs an allotment across the road maybe go and plant some trees or um try to collaborate on how you're all consuming together see if there's anyone who needs help shopping more sustainably try and think about how we use water and how we can maybe harvest rainwater, um, which I learned about recently. You can just get a little barrel, you can harvest rainwater and you can use that for essentially anything um, in your house, which is incredible. Um, But I think for me, the most important thing out of all of it is that you're surrounded as students by people your own age. who also probably care deeply about the climate crisis. And that gives you the opportunity to organize and work with each other to make use of your digital and social networks and use that endless archive of social media to kind of share and inspire each other. So Mm -hmm. the moment we can come out of this lockdown, we'll be back on the streets, having formed those connections and those collaborations during lockdown, having spoken to each other, having caught people up to speed, whether that's, you know, watching a David Attenborough documentary together and crying over it or, you know, bringing some new of information we use to kind of the dinner table every evening there's so much that we can do in terms of working with each other and supporting each other and helping each other's eco-anxiety and researching you know for example the ways that the center for alternative technology has kind of been talking about new things that we can do and how scientifically we can solve the climate crisis there's so much that we can learn i think this is our opportunity to do that yeah i think this time especially we could just really reflect on what we can do to do you know all these different things and execute all these different ideas i think sorry i just heard some whistling outside that was kind of creepy i think it was my house i was just like i thought i was alone in here um but yeah i think we can really use this time to educate ourselves and to keep that conversation going especially with you know if we have family members who aren't very eco-friendly educate them even if they're you know old and can't be bothered to no tell them that Mm. you have to change because Mm. this is what this time's for Um, even though it's also a time for sleeping in and procrastinating and just having fun but it's also just when you can 
experiment with different things that might work for you. That's what I'm trying to do anyway, just slowly trying to transition into a more plant-based lifestyle. I will miss chicken and Nando's severely. <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> but <laughs> we try. So um, thank you though, Noga, for such an insightful talk. I genuinely learned so much from you today. Thank and you. I really hope that people who are listening to this um, will also learn a lot from you also i know it's both of our birthdays on the same day on the <laughs> day so happy birthday to you have a wonderful happy birthday week. to you too oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but have a wonderful week thank you for coming on the show thank you so much for having me right i will say bye to you now then <laughs> <laughs>
What you do?